Welcome to episode 12 of Generation X Lapsed This is the final episode of Generation X Lapsed uh, Felt like we would never get here But then all of a sudden it uh, it felt like it was uh, in a hurry to get here uh, it's, uh, it's a weird series, it's a weird series I uh, started this thing out really dreading it And uh, here we are, about to let it go And uh, I think I might actually miss it So uh, let's get right into it here This is Generation X number 87 Of course we are back with the legacy numbering For the whole three issues that they gave us Of legacy numbering Uh, This had an April 2018 cover date Written by Christina Strain With art by Emilk Arpina Colors Felipe Sobrairo Letters VCs Clayton Cowles Edits Robinson Shan Panizia And not Alonzo But C.B. Sobolski This is the first time we see him on this book And, And the last time I suppose uh, cover price, $3.99. This one went on sale February 21 of 2018. Now for the final time, let's do our Generation X roll call. Our characters include Jubilee, Bling, Kid Omega, Nature Girl, Morph, Hindsight, and iBoy. Now we pick up right where we left off, where uh, Jubilee was... Uh, she got her path back. Uh, Quentin Quire did the thing, and uh, she's back to being a mutant, and thankfully... No longer a vampire Now iBoy and Lynn are there to witness this all go down Now thankfully, Trevor shielded little Shogo's eyes this time around So he didn't get to see his mother in a bad way again Just like uh, he watched her take a uh, you know a big old bite out of uh, Chamber's arm a couple issues back Which, as you might imagine, really freaked him out Now Lynn suggests that the uh, Phoenix is the culprit Because, I mean, why not? I mean, if you're a writer who wants to undo something and you have access to the Phoenix, you'd be crazy not to use that to your advantage, right? I mean, it's pretty easy stuff. Now, meanwhile, M-Plate is uh, squeezing the stuffing out of, I suppose now, former Phoenix Shard host, Quentin Choir. Chamber cries out to uh, him, her, or it to put the kid down, which, I mean, why not just get in there and start punching, Jono? I mean, you're just going to yell at her? Now, the point here is rendered moot when Call Me Jubes enters the room. M-Plate dumps QQ into what looks like a bottomless pit, but is actually just a, uh, a piece of really awkward perspective. Now, she turns her attention to the former vampire, she being M-Plate, and they fight back out to the front lawn. Bling and Benji then check in on Quentin. Uh, Quentin's t-shirt reads, Holiday in Genosha, which... You know, I'm not a person who's easily offended, but I would imagine there might be some folks in the Marvel Universe who 
wouldn't appreciate that shirt so much. Anyway, Benji then helps Nathaniel up to his feet, and they make the goo-goo eyes at one another. Nate reveals that there was a method to his madness last issue when he laid hands on Monet. You see, she took a bit of his power with her, which I didn't realize was a power that she had. Uh, it's not like she's sink, right? I, I don't know. We'll just We'll just go with it. So yeah, Monet, which is a word that my damn Google Doc keeps wanting to autocorrect to money, has a bit of Nathaniel's roguish powers, which makes it so if she touches anyone else, she'll form a connection with them, thus weakening her existing connection with her brother Marius, if you dig. And I mean, if we squint and assume Monet has this weird secondary mutation, it almost makes sense, right? Well, Benji turns to Nate and is like, yeah, cool story, man. And then he turns to Quentin so they can actually get something done. QQ reveals here that he is temporarily out of juice. He's got no powers to speak of, at least for the moment. And so Bling is all rut-row. Now, back outside, the legacy Gen Xers do battle. We've got Jubilee, Paige, and Jono fighting off Monet and barely making a dent. Then Bling runs up and socks Monet in the face. This also doesn't make a dent, but it wasn't supposed to. You see, this was all a distraction, because the real bling rushes in from behind and ear claps Monet. The bling that punched her was actually Benji with his morphing powers, you see. So as bling lays hands on Monet, the remnants of Nathaniel's powers allow her to transmit some memories into the baddie. And so, Monet gets to see all the torment that she's put bling through, that's, I mean, that's been a running thing through this whole series, that Bling has some unfortunate history with M-Plate. Now, Eyeboy and Benji shout at Jubilee to touch Monet. Lynn calls for some birds to come and start pecking at Monet to keep her off balance. Um, and an internal conflict brews between the St. Croix here. Uh, Marius tells her that the memories she's seeing are not their own. Then, Jubilee, Paige, and Jono all run in and lay hands on their former teammate... Which gives us a page of Marvel Legacy, y'all. Uh, basically, Monet memories from the very first issue of Generation X, and some stuff that appeared on covers of Generation X, and then the death of Sink. So, real, real deep cuts here. I mean, right in line with the rest of the uh, half assed Marvel Legacy uh, initiative. Now, this is somehow enough for Monet to purge M Plate from her body. Now, creepy and uh, emaciated, Marius freaks out, and he attempts to reconnect, but he's paffed away by Jubilee. And uh, there he lets out a really exaggerated, no, before being whisked away to his home dimension. And that's that. We jump ahead just a little bit and pick back up at the Xavier Institute of Decision Sciences, Floral Management, and Piano Pedagogy's Infirmary. Now, where I'm happy to report that they added a second bed. You know, we've had one bed in this room for a long time now. We've got two because I guess we have two injured mutants, you see? So we need two beds. Now, Quentin is being observed and attended to by Phoebe Cuckoo, who uh, we now know as his girlfriend during the current year stuff. Uh, this is back in the day where the Cuckoos had different haircuts and hair colors, so we could tell them apart. Even though I still couldn't tell you which one was which unless they explicitly told us. Now, Benji comments on Quentin giving up his Phoenix Shard to repower Jubilee. But QQ figures it ain't no thing, because uh, he's already seen the future, and he knows that he'll eventually become the Phoenix anyway. Now, believe it or not, this actually warrants an editor's footnote, which refers us to Wolverine and the X-Men, Volume 1, Number 37. So, uh, I mean, A, hey, how about that? You know, we got, a, we, got a, uh, we got a footnote. And B, 
Could you imagine an X-Men comic actually reading, reaching its 37th issue nowadays? I, I just can't. Now, Jubilee pops over to thank Quentin for his help. He just wants to know if she'll talk to Kitty on his behalf about letting him stick around. And she says she will, so long as that's what he wants. And he's like, well, you know, my powers are kind of caca right now, so I don't have much of a choice. So, there you go. Benji then hugs Quentin, telling him it felt like he was gone forever, despite only being gone like three or four days. QQ does not quite know how to take this. Outside in the entryway, Paige and Jono have a pretty forced heart-to-heart conversation, and it's kind of that whole playful, if you hurt my friend, I'll kill you sort of thing from Paige, because, you know, Jubilee and Jono kind of have the hot pants for one another. Now, Jubilee enters the scene, steps to her mark, and delivers her line. She and Jono decide to head up to her room for a bit. Now, it's worth noting, Shogo is talking up a blue streak here. Um, I don't know what happened to him since then, but uh, eh, I think we're the only ones that remember that this was a series anyway. Next stop, we're in either Benji or Nathaniel's room, where they're awkwardly facing each other. It looks kind of like a scene out of a soap opera, where both ca- characters like want to make sure that they're facing the camera as well as the person they're supposed to be talking to. It's a little awkward, but uh, the good news is they finally make out for real without a, you know, without a shirt collar in the way, and they wind up sharing a bunch of their memories. Uh, we get to see Benji getting told off by Cyclops, uh, then a few of Nate and Benji's little sidebars over the months, or weeks, or days, how, however long it's been since issue one. I couldn't tell you. It might be 20 minutes, it might be a year and a half. Just don't know. We now head to the end, and it's a few days later, and we're in Central Park, because of course we are. Lynn is having some squirrels hang a banner. Eyeboy wanders up to inquire what sort of deal she had cut with the rats last issue. Anybody else remember that? Anybody care about that? (laughs) I I didn't think so. Uh, She tells him not to worry about it, but assures him that when it happens, she'll keep him safe. So, okay. I'm sure we're all, you know, on bated breath here for the Revenge of the Rats miniseries. That's surely coming from Marvel. Meanwhile, Benji and Nathaniel are talking about uh, that, you know, uh, analog to Magic the Gathering that uh, Nathaniel plays. Quentin Choir walks over and he christens Nate as Hindsight, which, I mean, that's kind of what we've been calling him since Jump Street. Uh, He also comments on how Benji picked Nathaniel instead of him. And I didn't even realize Quentin was interested in the first place. I thought he was uh, all into Idy. Oh well. Um, The three boys agree that Hindsight is a pretty dope nickname, even though I doubt we'll ever see him again. Uh, Next, Roxy steps to her mark to deliver her line. Now, we're all in Central Park, of course, and we find out that this little gathering is actually a going-away party for her. She's going to be returning home in order to practice living among humans. And she promises that this isn't goodbye forever, and of course we know it isn't, because by God, she'll eventually join the elite of the elite, the Fallen Angels. Now, we close out the, the issue, the scene, the series, the volume with Kitty telling Jubilee that she did a good job with the Loser Squad. And, well, that's it. Now, we do actually wrap up with a, uh, a letters page of sorts here. It's basically just a uh, note from our creative team here. And I, I have an affinity for this sort of thing. Just, uh, you know, I think a lot of people of my vintage are uh, really, really fond of the letters pages and how much fun those could be. And uh, Marvel Legacy, I think, for a few of the Marvel Legacy books, they tried... They tried doing a uh, letters page initiative again, and it came across, um, well, half-assed, just like the rest of Marvel Legacy. I think they mostly used, like, the most, um, 
positive and rah-rah um, social media posts from people saying just uh, how great everything was. So, yeah, not not the greatest. But uh, this isn't even that anyway. This is just a note from our creative teams here. And actually, I had read this uh, ahead of time. I think I mentioned this during the very first episode here where I was talking about the fact that... Um, that these opening, the opening issues of this volume didn't feel like it had any heart, right? It didn't feel like a passion project. Not that everything has to be a passion project, but it just felt very disconnected. It felt like the, the creative team just didn't, uh, didn't have any affinity for uh, these characters. And a lot of that uh, projection was informed by this little missive from uh, Christina Strain here where I'll just get into it. Uh, she says here that she was asked by an editor to come up with an idea for a teen X-Men book. And uh, that tells me right there that... It wasn't her idea to do it, which, I mean, again, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. That's not a bad thing, but uh, it really doesn't speak to having an affinity or a passion for these characters. Um, Now, she gives her pitch as, quote, D-list teen mutants run amok. Okay. Also, reject ex-kids must learn how to deal with their feelings of inadequacy, self-doubt, disconnection, self-hate, trauma, and somehow come together as a family. So real fun stuff here, right? Real fun stuff. Uh, She claims that Generation X was very important to her as a teenager, which, again, I gotta say, does not come across on the page. Uh, It really did come across as they're having, like, a very superficial, at best, knowledge of the team ever having existed at all during the 90s. Though I could be, and probably am wrong. But uh, I'm not gonna lie and say that's not how it read to me, because it certainly did here. Even the... uh, even the, you know, the half-assed Marvel Legacy bits here where we got flashbacks were things that were on the covers of issues and stuff from the very first issue, which to me, I mean, that's not a deep cut. Not that, again, not that everything has to be, but if you're trying to show us that Jubilee, M, Chamber, and Husk have this long and storied history, then maybe, you know, just uh, maybe show it a little bit more. Don't don't give us, like, a little scene of uh, Chamber and Skin hitchhiking from, you know, Generation X number 18 that had nothing to do with anybody, <laughs> you know? Don't give us Jubilee in the Operation Zero Tolerance helmet because that's just something that was on the cover of an issue. It doesn't have anything to do with really anything. Uh, the, first, uh, the first issue where uh, I think Skin is playing, like, dominoes against somebody and he cheats... I don't know why we needed to see that scene here in the flashback. It all felt very, very superficial. But um, again, I, I might I might be uh, projecting here. Uh, now, she only mentions Generation X or comic books at all in that one sentence before spending the next five paragraphs thanking everyone that she worked with. So there's that. Uh, there's a very brief note from Amilcar Pena as well, and it's just generic thank yous. So uh, nothing nothing about the book, nothing about the project, nothing about the characters. It's just like, hey, I worked with some awesome people. Thanks a lot. So what do we have to say about this issue? And then we'll talk a little bit about the series overall. But for the issue, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those good news, bad news situations, right? Because it feels like we took 12 issues to get to a point where we would care about these characters. And we leave them... We leave them where there's more story to be told, I feel. Uh, I said I didn't want to look ahead to see if, you know, Ben Deeds and Nathaniel uh, Carver got, you know, scenes in any other books that I might have missed out on. And, uh, well, they really haven't. Um, I think they showed up in a couple issues of Iceman. And uh, they were apparently in the Marvel Voices uh, one-shot that we covered on the show 
a while back, but I don't remember seeing them there. So I'm guessing they were just uh, X-Men wallpaper for that uh, for those scenes. Which, if you ask me, really sucks because we spent so much time establishing these two characters as uh, actual complex and realistic teenagers, right? We spent a lot of time learning about Nate's powers, about his history, his trauma, Benjamin trying to, uh, you know, outproduce what Cyclops thought he was going to produce, right? He tried to overcompensate, or just, I guess, plain compensate. He tried to make it so uh, whatever Cyclops said about him being ineffective and kind of worthless wasn't true. And so we, we built these characters up over these 12 issues here, and I think... And I mean, I've had problems with the way some of these stories have been told and some of the ways these scenes have been laid out. I always joke about how, you know, it looks like there's marks on a stage that they walk up to 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 deliver their lines here, like it's a production of, like, Our Town being done by a high school or something. But the characters were built well. The characters were built very, very well. And it's a shame that they didn't didn't do anything with them. Let's shift over to Roxy here, who did a lot of maturing during this series as well. And, uh... Well, um, you know, looking on the wiki here, because again, I, I was away for a little bit, and there's certainly reason to believe that I might have missed a story or two with, uh, with these characters here. And, uh, well, basically, yes, I've missed a story or two with, uh, with Bling here. Um, I showed up an Iceman, um, a couple of issues of Old Man Logan, um, a Domino Annual, then Age of X-Men. And from Age of X-Men, uh, we don't see her again until she's a fallen angel for... About five seconds, right? Uh, we spend four issues of Fallen Angels saying we need to put a team together. Then they put a team together with Husk and Bling, and they basically stand there, and then the series ends. So, uh, yeah, so it's a shame. <laughs> it really is a shame that that's another character that was actually handled very, very well in this series that they just didn't do a hell heck of a lot with afterwards. I'm pretty sure it's the same thing with Lynn. I, I know she does show up during uh, Age of X-Men, so I don't know if there's anything in between then and now. It's, I'm, I'm fine not seeing Lynn, though. I think she's uh, probably one of the more horrible characters to come out of the X-Offices in, in quite some time. Uh, iBoy, actually, uh, you know, he's an X-Factor now for, I guess, for a little while longer until they can that book. And Quentin Quire, of course, is Quentin Quire. He was always too good for this book. So uh, it stands to reason that he will be, uh, you know, the, the big star coming out of it. I do feel like um, the characters were presented as being, I don't know, maybe a little bit more mature uh, during this Generation X run than they have been since. I feel like the characters are presented as being younger now. And, I mean, I could talk about Shogo, of course. Shogo actually speaks during this uh, this run, but in you know the current post-Hoxpox books here, uh, Shogo is, you know, an infant who doesn't speak, just gurgles, right? But, I mean, even let's even look at... Like Chamber and Husk and Jubilee, you know, they were they were like the elders of this team, and now it seems like uh, they lost a bit of their uh, maturity, right? Uh, Chamber's just hanging out with the New Mutants whenever they remember that he's there. Jubilee's with Excalibur, but is coming across um, younger again. She feels like uh, she's been de-aged just a little bit, and Husk, well, just like Bling, was a fallen angel, so. Uh, Probably the less said about that, the better. Um, Monet, of course, uh, I guess she's going to be an X-Corp, which we have not yet read. Uh, so I guess she's an adult now. <laughs> it's just uh, these other characters who are being presented as adults during this Generation X run are, uh, I don't know, they're in a, like a stunted Arrested Development. They're just uh, 
forever young, I suppose. Now, it's not fair to hold any of that against this volume here, which turned out to be far better than I ever thought it would be. Um, That's just uh, what happens with these books sometimes. They come, they go, and uh, whether or not we remember anything that happened in them, or we're supposed to remember anything that happened in them, that's really up to uh, the editors here. We did see the editor-in-chief changed just in this very issue, right? Alonzo was booted, Sobolski was brought in, and things would change from here. I, I doubt any of that really had, uh, you know, Generation X at the uh, forefront, but uh, hey, it was, a, it was a casualty all the same, right? So let's talk about the wrap-up here, right? Um, Nathaniel's powers work <laughs> very conveniently. Uh, Monet, her powers also work very conveniently. It was one of those things where you have to squint and turn your head sideways for it to work, but if you are able to contort your head in such a way, then yes, this was a creative way to uh, to reach the ending here, to, to separate Marius and Monet, to make, you know, to kind of, I guess, uh, take away uh, Monet's guilt, you know, as being controlled by uh, the evil M-plate here. It's all terribly convenient, but again, I mean, a book gets canceled, you gotta do what you can to make it fit, and, uh, I think, you know, looking at it through that prism, they did as good a job as they could, and I, I think it worked. I think it worked here um, far better than it had any right to, just like the series as a whole. It worked a lot better than I think it had any right to. Coming into this series, and I've said it before, the first three or four issues of that, um, I felt like the, you know, the camera was zooming up on my face, and I was about to say, I just made a huge mistake by agreeing to, uh, to pursue this. And then we hit about issue probably six or so. I think it was the the auction issue where Quentin took uh, Benji and Nate to um, to that auction where they ran into Fenris. I think that's kind of where I turned on the book here, and I started to actually enjoy it. And actually not only enjoy it, but look forward to it. So uh, it took a little while to get things cooking, which is never a good thing because... Like I always point out, these things are four bucks a pop, so if you're waiting six issues to just start to care about these characters, you're in at 25 bucks, you know? That's a, that's a big buy-in, right? But I think that's probably all I have to say about this, uh, this issue and this series. I uh, look forward to hearing from you guys about uh, your thoughts on this series now that we're at the other end of it. I would also love to hear from you guys about what the next uh, Sunday special subject ought to be here. I've got a couple of things in mind here. I might put up a uh, poll. I always get nervous about putting up a poll because I'm always afraid it's just going to like sit there and no one's going to care <laughs> and no one will vote. So it'll just be me like, hey, help me out. And then people are like, no, nah, we don't care. So uh, once I figure out how to do that and uh, get over myself in the process, um, I will put a poll out here. I'm looking at two books here. Uh, one will be uh, Mr. and Mrs. X Lapsed, wherein we look at the five-issue Rogue and Gambit miniseries. We take a look at the wedding issue of, uh, of X-Men Gold, and then we hop into the 12-issue um, Mr. and Mrs. X series, which will make it a, uh, what about, an 18-part story. So that's a, that's a long one. The other idea I had is... Uh, Generation X Lapsed, where we're going to take a look at the Jean Grey series that ran, I think, 11 issues, plus there's a Generations um, special, the uh, Phoenix special, where uh, young Jean meets regular Jean. 
which I think fits in there between like the sixth and seventh issues or the fifth and sixth issue, but it'll probably be a 12 uh, episode series there. So Mr. and Mrs. X Lapsed and Generation X Lapsed are the options for the next Sunday special. I would love to hear your guys' thoughts on that. Is there one you'd rather hear? Do you not care about either? (laughs) Whichever. uh, Let me know. Let me know. And you can do that a few different ways. You could find me on Twitter at Ace Comics. You can find me on Instagram at 90sXmen. You can shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com, or you can leave a message on the x hotline voicemail at 623-396-JERK. And you can head over to chrisisoninfiniteearth.com for blog posts and show notes. Also, since we're done with this series, I will be uh, putting them all over on xlapsed.chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. All 12 episodes will be there, uh, hopefully easy to find um, and, and easy to uh, to go through. So those will be on xlapsed.chrisisoninfiniteearths.com as you are listening to this episode right now. Uh, you can join us on Facebook. Our little group is 90s X-Men, and there'll probably be a poll over there about the uh, you know generation and the Mr. and Mrs. Uh, books there. And finally, for all your Chris and Reggie comic commentary listening needs, you can head over to chrisandreggie.podbean.com, available anywhere the internet aggregates sound. And if you like what you hear there, or at least appreciate the effort that goes into it each and every day, I would love for you to spread the word, share the show, tell a friend or two, all that happy stuff. I would really, really appreciate it. It would mean a whole heck of a lot to me and the show. But that's all I got to say. I would like to thank you all so much for sharing some of your day with me today. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.